Hey, this is Monty Nero, and you're listening to The Night Nerd. Welcome to The Night Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Lance. It's Friday, so we're going to talk about what you want to talk about. All week we've been celebrating New Orleans. I, I'm going on a trip there in just a couple of days. Like, we're so, so close. I, I can't wait. So, I, I've been talking about, you know, great characters from there, great video games set in there. We looked at a super, super brief history of their past yesterday. And uh, today, I want to continue that with a look at recent years. You know, yesterday I talked about how resilient... New Orleans was, how they always came back, how they always managed to survive, and despite the hurricanes and the fires and the changing of the guard so many times as far as like uh, who owns and who runs Louisiana, their biggest test, their biggest challenge had to be Hurricane Katrina back in 2005, 16 years ago, uh, this August. It's crazy. You know, it's one of those things like... You, you remember where you were when all this started to happen, you know, and I, I'm next door in Texas, so I was I was really watching and paying attention. So today we're going to do kind of like a, a bullet point recap of the timeline, what happened, and we're going to look at a few different aspects of it. Uh, so it started back August 25th is when it first made landfall. Before it made landfall, let's go back. August 23rd, it was a tropical storm warning for the Bahamas. Then, August 24th, it became a tropical storm watch for places in Florida. Kind of all over Florida. And August 25th is when it became a hurricane warning. And so, it you see, it went pretty fast. So, August 25th, it hit the coast of Florida. Category 1, winds 80 miles an hour. Governor Bush declares a state of emergency. All right, so next, August 26th, we go, and here's when Louisiana Governor Blanco declares a state of emergency, and the White House, under President W. Bush, sends National Guard troops down to the Gulf Coast. And at 10.30 that morning, Katrina becomes a Category 2 hurricane. So it's just gaining more and, and more steam. August 27th. So here it's Hurricane Watch in Louisiana. Um, they stopped with the tropical storm warnings because it's Hurricane Watch or Hurricane Warnings everywhere. 27th, 5 o'clock that afternoon, New Orleans Mayor Ray Nagin starts a, a voluntary evacuation. He's like, hey, you should probably get out. Like, it looks bad. And then later on that same evening, the governor of Mississippi, Governor Barber, declares a state of emergency. The next morning, August 28th, Katrina becomes a Category 5 storm with winds of 160 miles per hour. Now, the highest it'll get was sustained winds. And if you didn't know, sustained winds means at least one minute, 60 seconds of the same speed. And the highest it would get was 175 miles per hour. 175. Let that sink in for a minute. 
That that's fast. So at nine thirty on the morning of August twenty eighth, Governor New Orleans, for the first time in history, has a mandatory evacuation of New Orleans. He's like, get out, get out. If you can't get out, go to the Superdome as your last resort. Two hours later, eleven thirty a.m. and and I'm I'm Central Time here. Um, President Bush says he's going to help. He signs disaster declarations, everything like that. In the afternoon, the National Weather Service says, hey, this is bad. There's going to be surges that could go over the top of the levees. And after hearing that, the Alabama governor is like, well, I'm going to declare emergency too. So let's talk about levees for a minute. I honestly never heard the term levee before Katrina, you know, I was like, what's a, a levy, you know, and it's otherwise known as like a flood bank, a dike, an embankment, something like that, something that helps uh, maintain water levels and hold back water levels. You know, we talked about in the history of New Orleans where they found a way to drain the water out, some of those places that were below sea level to keep them out. Well. That's what levees do. And levees are all over the world. I mean, they're all over the United States. They're, they're everywhere. Uh, and made differently in all sorts of things. They've been around as long as recorded time has been around. The thing with these levees in New Orleans uh, for Katrina, it all goes back to 1965. You know, we talked about the hurricane hitting there. Hurricane Betsy came around and it was bad but not not really that bad but it made people start to wonder you know okay you know the city's under sea level what are we what are we going to do so congress passed an act called the flood control act of 1965 and the way it was there was a deal between the united states army corps of engineers and the city of new orleans the army would build these levees and new orleans would maintain them well uh, as with all stuff, you know, it kind of goes back and forth and, and sees what happens. Uh, after studies, and this is before Katrina, they're like, hey, you know, maybe these are a little, little strain, you know, not, not quite what they need to be. We don't know what's underneath them. Uh, but by that point, almost 50, 49%, almost half the city was below sea level. So, who? Uh, after the study came out, in 2001, they're like, okay, we're going to redo all the stuff. We're going to work on flood control. It was a 13-year plan. By the time Katrina hit, it was only like, they say somewhere between 60 and 90%, depending on who you talk to. Uh, and this is a thing that was like 50 years in the making, you know? So that, that's kind of sad and, and crazy. And uh, the, they said New Orleans was a disaster waiting to happen when they were doing all this. So it's kind of sad but yeah so levees have a, a long history in new orleans and that's that's where they come from so august 28 6 p.m the mayor of new orleans starts a 6 p.m curfew you know and by the end of the night though people are just flocking to the superdome because they the roads are backed up for hours and when i say hours i mean like 10 to 15 hours to get out um, people don't have cars. People don't have gas. Some people don't even have like radios and TV, so they don't know what's going on, but they know people are going to the Superdome for safety. There's somewhere between 25,000 and 30,000 people 
in the Superdome by, by the end of August 28th. The next morning, August 29th, Katrina hits the Gulf Coast, and it's a Category 3. And at 9 a.m., August 29th, a levee is breached in the Lower Ninth Ward. And just after that, they just start popping. Uh, the Industrial Canal, 17th Street Canal, waters just pour into it. And this is where we see, you know, people being up on their roofs trying to be saved. This is where we get uh, feet, like seven feet, up to 15 feet of water in some places all around New Orleans. This is where the airport got shut down, uh, the Hyatt, the, the windows got blown out. I mean, all, all sorts of stuff was going down. And it just, it happened fast. You know, they they talk about preparedness and early evacuations and early warning signs. That that's all well and good. I mean, the the mayor is on record saying he felt like he did everything he could every day. But when it, things start to break like that and it just starts to to go, it there's not much you can do. I mean, the Six Flags. I'll put up a picture. The picture for today's show will be the Six Flags. It's all underwater, and they can't save it. Like, it's not worth saving because there's so, so much going on. Uh, and it was flooded for a month afterwards. It was absolutely crazy. So 11 a.m., two hours later, this is where the storm hits those, like, peak winds. And it's in Biloxi. It's in the Gulf Port. You know, it's just moving on up. That afternoon, remember, there's as many as 30,000 people in, this, in the Superdome. That afternoon, holes start being ripped in the top of the Superdome. So now people, it's not a shelter place. Um, the government comes in, Bush declares emergency disaster for Louisiana and Mississippi, you know, but what, what good does that do at this point? August 30th, 7 a.m., Katrina's downgraded to a tropical storm. Well, by now it's in Tennessee, so it's made landfall and it's gone and it's, it's done its damage. Uh, that same morning, it dissipates, winds go down to 35 miles per hour, which where I live, that's nothing. Uh, and at this time, they think 80% of New Orleans is covered in water. Up, to, I said 15 feet, but some places are 20 feet high. 20 feet high. And this is also after a good chunk of the people did evacuate. You know, we, we talked about those early evacuations. Everybody's like, oh, everybody stayed. No, they they did not. Like, 80 to 90% of the population of New Orleans left. But there were still people. I mean, remember we talked about how big of a town it was yesterday. That's, they, they stuck around. And the, there was, during this time, survival looting. I mean, there was some normal looting, but... A lot of the people who got caught looting, they were, it was food and, and water and things like that. They weren't doing, you know, actual looting. And social studies, like uh, psychology, sociology studies have shown us that times like this, people loot. It doesn't matter the socioeconomic status. It's going to happen. So with that, though, let's talk about some of the rumors and drama that went down uh new orleans famously had a history of corrupt police like they, they were known 
when this started, a good chunk of their force just left and abandoned. They took, they got in their cop cars and drove away. Um, which is which is crazy, and they a lot of them did get locked up. They I think it's like a third of them left before the storm hit. And the ones who stayed, they're like, every, you know, everybody's for themselves. It doesn't matter. So, again, we talked silver lining. Uh, you know, New Orleans always finds that. They restructured their police. They arrested the ones who stole government property and, you know, tried, tried to make things better. In the Superdome, you know, they're like, oh, there's bodies piling up. There's rape everywhere. It's you know, hundreds of people dead. Okay. Six people died in the Superdome. Four were natural causes, one OD'd, and one was a suicide. That That's it. I mean, I know that's still a lot, but six versus hundreds, you know, that, that, that tells you what what's going on. And the, a lot of news outlets came after the fact, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're sorry, we, we reported that wrong, blah, 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 blah. And put it like on the on the back end, you know, where nobody was watching. Kind of really frustrating. Anyway, October thirty first in that morning, again t- uh, orders the total evacuation of New Orleans. You know, earlier we had had the uh, the evacuation, a mandatory evacuation, which is like, hey, you need to get out. But this is everybody is out. Government official, everybody in this town is out. And Governor Perry. For all his ups and downs and faults and stuff, he said, "Cool, bring them to the Astrodome. We have electricity because in the in the Superdome they didn't have electricity, they didn't have water, barely had food. You know, it was insane. So he was like, hey, bring them to the Astrodome, bring them over to Texas.' And they were actually distributed, uh, placed. I, I don't know. There's not a good word here. They were." given homes throughout Texas. Even here in my hometown of, of Lubbock, you know, we have some places, uh, some apartment complexes that were used for that. So it, it was good. And then the U.S. Health and Human Services declares public health emergencies in Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, and Florida. It's just crazy. Uh, later that afternoon, water levels kind of equalize, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. That just means that they stopped rising. This is where you again you see those famous shots of people on top of their roofs. The the mayor, the city of New Orleans was like, "Hey, you need to keep hatchets and crowbars and saws, all these things, keep them in your attic because you're going to need to break up." You know, people couldn't they didn't have a way to get on the roof, so they were having to bust out their roof and climb up there. Uh, and that, that was just think about that, like getting that notification, getting that announcement of, hey, you need to have stuff in here to get on your roof. Uh, it's it's insane. September 1st, that morning, uh, the mayor sends out an SOS for anybody, bus, anybody that has a bus, uh, FEMA, anybody, you know, they're running out of everything. So FEMA, they, they, uh, are suspended because they hear that there's gunshots and things. Again, this is, there's only proof of one gunshot, like being fired on people. Uh, there's a thing of gunshots in the Superdome and it turns out it was just a valve 
leaking. So uh, it's crazy. Um, and the FEMA director was like, oh, I didn't know there were people at this convention center in here and everything. Later on, it would come out that he didn't know. Uh, this is FEMA director Michael Brown. He knew people were in this convention center before he, he you know, he said he did. September 2nd, Congress approves an aid package. Uh, they they sign it all, um, but they know, like, hey, no, it's not working. They have buses pulling people out. They open the Louis Armstrong Airport to try and pull people out. There's dead bodies everywhere. The toll of Katrina was over 1,800 people. 1,800. That's insane. And of those 1,800, over 1,400 were in New Orleans. Over 1,400 people died here. So no, it, it wasn't going well. They weren't handling it well. Uh, September 3rd, we get 40,000 people from the National Guard come in. And the American Red Cross shows up. And there's trash at the Superdome that's like 10 feet high. Uh, just worse and worse and worse. September 4th, police officers shoot some residents. September 5th, uh, the canal, 17th Street Canal breach is repaired. So they, they start trying to work on stuff and, and things are going down. But again, nobody knows how many people are dead. Nobody knows what's going on, where people are trapped. September 6th, they say it's going to take 80 days, three months, to pump out water. Uh, it's crazy. And as time goes on, Bush would request more money for federal aid. Uh, FEMA homeboy Brown resigns September 12th because everything he did wrong. And it, it was just... Pardon my language, but a shit show, you know, it was just horrible. All these people died when, if, if Brown and the cop now for the sake of argument, there were people who stayed no matter what, these are the people who were part of Betsy. They're like, Oh, it's not going to be worse than Betsy. We're going to get a little rain. I'll be fine. There were people who refused to evacuate. You know, that I don't want to discredit, you know, but all in all, a lot of this could have been handled better. And now, you know, we know this, we, we look back and it doesn't take a scientist. It doesn't take a, a social professor, a political science professor. I'm a lowly podcaster and I can tell you that, that this was horrible. I have... Uh, a roommate, one of my old roommates is from New Orleans and he got relocated here after this. Another one of my older mates, one of my best friends, Wiggy, y'all heard him on the show. He went down, he was a youth minister at the time. He took a group of kids down there to help clean out houses. And he was telling me how every house had an X on it. You know, when you make an X, there's four quadrants and each of the quadrants meant something. It's like, uh, how many bodies were found in here? How many dead animals were found in here? 
how high is the water damage and, and like something else. I, I, it's really depressing. My own dad, my, my father, was a firefighter at the time. He's a retired firefighter now, but he was a firefighter at the time. I was in college, you know, I wasn't living at home. So he went down there for, I think it was like three or four weeks, like a month. He went to Houston, or around Houston, Port Arthur, to help with taking in refugees uh, and helping with the transition and help, just helping with everything, you know. It's, it's insane that this is something... I mean, it's the worst engineering disaster in United States history. That's that's a given. You know, we know we know that. And when it comes to the reconstruction, well, the, it made a lot of the socioeconomic situations even worse because the white people moved back in faster because they had the houses that were above sea level, so it was easier for them to come back. African American families lived in the poorer neighborhoods below sea level, their houses are all but destroyed. You know, they're running through the hoops trying to get everything figured out and, and, and stuff. Meanwhile, the these white settlers, I mean, let's call them what they are, these people coming back, they want to tear down these neighborhoods. They want to do all the, you know, something we've seen time and time and time again. Um, I don't know. It's just, it was... It was horrible, you know, and it's something, again, that I feel could have been handled better. Everybody knows it could have been handled better, but it wasn't. And I remember I, uh, I would have been 22 at that time, 23. Um, you know, I was still a kid, but I knew this was bad. You know, I, I was years after watching 9-11 and see the disaster after disaster Uh, and you know uh, there was little I could do like I mentioned my dad my friend they went down there they did something and I think to wrap it all up and, and bring it all together I think this is one of the reasons I love New Orleans you go there and everybody's having fun and they're happy, but they acknowledge like what has happened before the fires, the hurricanes, the white league, all of that. But they come back and they come back stronger. They come back better. And that, that spirit, uh, it, it's a s- sense of unity that you just feel from almost everybody in that town. And that that camaraderie is something that even as a tourist, you know, you can feel, you can see, you can sense. And you you ask people to hear their stories. You know, I I remember last time I was in New Orleans, um, we were on Freeman Street and there were these guys set up out there doing like they, they would just type up poetry and stuff for you. And I got so inspired that I started doing it with some buddies um, at our local art trail for for a few months. like, But the these guys there, you know, they have all this to pull from and all these stories to tell. And I don't know, it's, it's a beautiful city. And when you look at it 
you know, it, it's beautiful on every layer. But as you peel back those layers and, and you see the sour notes and you see the bad things that have happened, it makes it even more beautiful. And yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, serious talk, serious moment right here. I think that's why New Orleans is one of my favorite cities. Uh, yeah. But that does it for me this week. I got to get packed. I got to get dogs boarded, kids board. We, we don't really board kids here in the state, but um, I'm excited. Let me know if you've ever been to New Orleans and if you have, like, what's your favorite part. Even if you're not listening to this on first run, I'm going back soon, so it's okay. <laughs> Let me know in the comments below here on SoundCloud or on social media. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, everywhere. Just look for The Night Nerd. You can email me, nightnerd at thenightnerd.com. But otherwise, that's going to do it for me today. Again, my name is Lance. Thank you all so much for listening. Let the good times roll, and we'll see you next time. So adios to Emily.